0: disappointed. All right. So Romans eleven seventeen. 17, would you stand up? We're going to read the word of God. Romans eleven seventeen, 17, and we're going to go through verse 24. Here we go. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So don't become proud, but stand in awe. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will He spare you. Note then the kindness and the severity of God severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back in to their own olive tree? Father, thank you for the passage before us. I thank you for uh, the purpose that it serves in, in challenging us to persevere in our faith. God, I pray that you would put it in us to keep believing, to keep trusting you, to keep depending upon you, to keep looking to you, to keep calling to you. God, I pray that no matter what season of life we're in, no matter the discouragements or the trials or the depression or the Successes or the no matter what, God, that you would keep us persevering in faith. God, use this word today to stir in us a persistence in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, if you'll remember, this section of Romans is a little bit diff- difficult, Romans 9, 10, 11. And the reason it's a little bit difficult is because it has a specific purpose, and the specific okay, overall purpose of 9, 10, 11 is. What happened to Israel? Okay, that that's kind of the purpose of 1911. Is what happened to Israel? Right? You have God making these incredible promises to Abraham. You know, promises that through you, all the nations are going to be a, through your family, through through the the family of Abraham came the word of God, came the prophets, came the nation of Israel, came the Messiah Jesus Christ. Right? All of that came through Israel, and now Paul is asking the question. Why then did so many of the Jews, so many of the Israelites, miss Jesus? Why did they miss their Messiah? You know, why, why did they continue to try to be righteous with God by their own good works and their own good deeds and their own religion and their own family connection and the fact that they were Israelites and the fact that they were that their family was the nation of Israel? Why, why did they trust in that and not the Messiah? And then even a bigger question, at the same time that that is happening, as Paul is writing this, all kinds of pagans, okay? Paul refers to them as Gentiles, okay? So I want you to think in your mind, a Gentile is just somebody, someone who's not a Jew, but to them, a Gentile was somebody who had no religious connection, no no morality. None of their family were ever godly people, all right? And you got crowds of these folks who are turning from their sin and embracing Jesus Christ and being born again. You know, and so Paul is asking the question, what happened? Why, why did so many of Israel reject while so many pagans, so many Gentiles, so many godless folks are finding salvation in Jesus? Now, Paul answers that at the beginning of chapter 11. We didn't read this, but he answered at the beginning of chapter 11 and hey, don't you remember that all through, all through the Old Testament, there was the nation of Israel and then there was the remnant, okay? That's in verse 5. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace, all right? Now, I was sitting by Grady's stocking at Falls Creek one night, and I was reading this passage to myself, just kind of thinking about what I was going to preach. And I looked over at Grady. I like to mess with Grady. And I said, Grady, are you part of the remnant? And Grady, he's a real serious guy. He looked over at me and he said, Pastor, I don't even know what a remnant is, you know? And so you may be there, right? What's well, a remnant? All right? A remnant. It's kind of the, the chosen few that God has, the real believers, okay? And so he gives example, again, we didn't read it, but at the beginning, the first four verses of chapter 11 of of Elijah. Remember Elijah's uh, battle with the prophets of Baal? You know, he slays the prophets, and then, you know, it seems like a great victory, but then he, he goes home, and he, he's got a knock at the door, and, and Jezebel's messenger says, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. You know, And Elijah runs out in the wilderness, and he gets under a tree, and, and he starts complaining to God. Remember that? God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only faithful, one. I'm the only prophet. I'm the only one that trusts you. I'm, and God finally says, Elijah, quiet! You're not the only one. I've still got, remember this, 7,000 in Israel who haven't bowed the knee. So what, what was Elijah saying? Uh, or what was God saying to Elijah? He was saying, look, even though you got all these Israelites who are connected to me by their family who are connected to me by their religiousness, who are connected to me by their their country. And I've got, I've got this group here that's connected to me by faith. All right, that's the remnant, all right? And so that that's what Paul is talking about here in chapter 11. Now, you're gonna ask, Okay, what is all this tree stuff, right? Did that that lose you? You know, the breaking off branches, grafting in olive tree, you're like, what? We've got an agricultural lesson here today? Okay, so here's the illustration Paul is using, okay? First of all, the tree represents Israel. It represents the promises of Abraham, right? So you got God telling Abraham, wait, 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 long time ago, through your family, through your sons, through your children, through your descendants, is gonna come the law of God, the prophets of God, the people of God, you know, the Messiah, Right? So you got this tree, this root, okay, this Old Testament root of all the promises, all the revelation of God. All right? And you got some branches being broken off. Okay? Those are the branches that are not truly connected vitally to the vine. We got a tree right out here, the Lincoln campus. You'll notice, and maybe somebody would like to do something about this. I don't know what to do, but you'll notice there's a bunch of dead branches on it. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, there's, there's some branches that are green with leaves. There's other branches that are just dead. Now, those branches are s- connected to the tree, but not vitally. Does that make sense? There's no life going through them, all right? And so, so Paul's picture, first of all, is of these Israelites who are, who are connected to God by their family, by their tradition, by their morality. By the way, there's people like this in the church. Did you know that? People that are connected to the church by family, by tradition, by morality. But they're not true believers; they don't truly believe. So you got branches being broken off at the same time. You got branches being grafted in. I've never done this, but after watching a YouTube video on it, I just want to try it. Almost, it looks so cool. All right. So what you do is, so let's say you got an olive tree that you've cultivated. It's a, it's a good olive tree, but you wanna you wanna change the fruit on it a little bit, change the taste of the fruit, get a get a different tasting fruit. You might go to a wild olive tree, an olive tree that's growing wild out in the pasture, and you might cut off a branch, a living branch, okay? And then you would whittle it down, okay? So the, the bark is exposed, and you would make a slit in that tree. And you would insert that branch into that slit of that tree. And you know what would happen? The tree would absorb the branch, and it would become part of the tree, all right, so Paul's picture is, that's what's happened with the Gentiles. That's what happens with, with these, these wild pagans, us, okay? we You know, we, we, no, no religious no promise, and God has taken that and inserted us into this great tree of God, and we have become part of God's people. All right, so that's the picture, all right? Are we all good with context? Okay, good, all right? So here's what I want us to focus on, verse 20. Paul says, that is true. They were broken off. So some folks were broken off because of their unbelief. Now, we need to pause right here, all right? Why was Israel broken off? Because of their unbelief. We learned this back in chapter nine. And back in chapter nine, verse 30, uh, Paul said, what should we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith, okay? But Israel, verse 31, verse 31, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. Why was Israel broken off? Because Why were were some Israelites broken off? Because they did not believe. Anyone who perishes is because of unbelief. Anybody who's in hell is because they did not believe. Okay, they were broken off because of unbelief. I think Paul gets this image from Jesus in John 15. So in John 15, here's what Jesus says about himself. Verse five, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, Okay, so whoever lives in me and I live in them, guess what? It's gonna bear much fruit. For apart from me, you're gonna do nothing. Okay, so my life's gonna come through you. You're gonna be changed, you're gonna be transformed, you're gonna bear fruit. Look at verse six though. If anyone does not abide in me, He's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered together and thrown in the fire and burned, okay? The branches that are not vitally connected to the vine. In other words, if you're associated with the people of God because your great-grandmother started the church and, you know, your grandpa was an usher and you, you know, came and, you you know, whatever, right? You're, you're connected by your family, by tradition, or you're just a good guy, right? You're, you go to church because you're a good guy and good people go to church, okay? If that's your connection to God, you will be broken off. You'll be broken off. You don't have a vital connection to Jesus Christ. The only means of salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. So look at verse 20. He says, that's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. Okay, you stand fast through faith. The only means of salvation is faith. Okay, Not your connection through your family, not your connection through your morality, not your connection through your good works, not your connection through your giving. Your only only hope of being being saved is your connection to Jesus by faith. We we, we talked about this last week, didn't we? What, what, What does it mean to believe? It means to embrace that Jesus is everything the Bible reveals him to be. Remember Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, right? So how does faith happen? Well, the word reveals Jesus to us, right? So let's just take one book of the Bible, the gospel of John. Let me just skim through it real quick. Who's the gospel of John revealed Jesus to be? Well, John six, he's the bread of life, right? He's the bread of life. Bible says that's who Jesus is. He, 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 he's the bread of life. He nourishes and satisfies and feeds your soul. Who else is he? Well, John 10. He's the good shepherd. He leads you. He protects you. He takes you to good pasture. Who else is he? John 15. He's the vine. He is is the one who empowers you to be a different person, to bear fruit. We just read that. Who else is he? He's the light of the world. He shows you truth. Who else is he? John 11. He's the resurrection and the life. He is victory over death and the grave. And here's what faith says. So, So the word of God reveals who Jesus is and faith says, oh, yes, I believe. I believe, Jesus, that you will not satisfy my soul. You will nourish me. You will lead me. You will guide me. You will enable me to bear fruit. You will change me. You will transform me. You will show me truth. You will save me from sin, death, and the grave. You will bring me to resurrection. And I'm looking to you. I'm calling to you. I'm following you. I'm obeying you. Okay, so so faith is the only means by which we are vitally connected to God that brings salvation. Now, verse 20 says this. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but stand in on. Now look at verse 21. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. All right, so, so what's Paul doing with this passage? Well, he's telling us, first of all, if God didn't spare the natural branches, in other words, the Israelites who were not believing, we're just connected to God through their family, through their nation, through their morality, then don't think for a moment he'll spare you. You See, that's almost a, that's a warning, right? It's a warning. If God didn't spare the Israelites, he won't spare you, right? If he, if, he, if he didn't keep them from his wrath because they were unbelieving, he won't keep you, okay? So there's this warning about unbelief. There's this warning about making sure you persevere. There's several several perseverant verses here. Here's one I want you to look at, verse 22. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue. You see that word continue? That means you keep going. That means you keep believing. You keep believing. So if you're a believer here today, here's what Paul is telling you. If you're a believer here today, and you're trusting Christ, and you're embracing Christ, and you're depending on Christ, then you ought to be doing that a year from now. In fact, you ought to be growing in that a year from now. And you ought to be doing that 10 years from now. And you ought to be growing in that in 10 years from now. In other words, you got to stay believing. If not, you will be cut off. That's what verse 22 says. Otherwise, it says, provided you continue in kindness... Otherwise, you too will be cut off. All right, we need to stop right here, and we need to make sure that we are clear about what he means by being cut off. Okay? So does he mean that there are people in this room today who are dwelt by the Spirit of God? They've embraced Christ as their King. God has saved them. God has taken away their sins. He's put his righteousness, Jesus righteousness, in their in their account, and they have the, the hope of heaven and the inheritance of heaven. Right now. But in a year from now, they're going to go through some trial or they're going to get distracted or they're going to have a friendship in their life that leads them away and they stop believing and God will come down and he will take his righteousness out of them. He will pull his Holy Spirit out of them. He will go get their sin and put it back in them and he will take away their inheritance and they will be lost and under the wrath of God. Is that what he's talking about? I do not believe so. Why do I not believe so? Because of what else we read in the word of God. So in Romans chapter eight, a chapter we spent a bunch of time in, do you remember some verses like these? Verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. All right? You see what that verse is saying? Everybody who calls, he justifies. Everybody he justifies, he glorifies. And then as if we wouldn't get it, Paul goes ahead and spends the rest of chapter 8 saying there is absolutely nothing that can separate a true believer from God. All right, let me read you some of those verses. Verse um, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How about tribulation? Nope. Distress? Nope. Persecution? Nope. Famine? Nope. Nakedness? Nope. Danger? Nope. Sword? He goes on, verse 37, and all these things we are more than conquerors to Him who loved us, for I am sure that neither, and then there's another list, death nor life or angels or rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think an even better passage is John chapter 10, an even clearer one. John chapter 10. I was reading this with a student this week at Falls Creek. John ten twenty seven says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And then he says, I give them what? Eternal life. Eternal life. He doesn't say I give them possible life. No, he says eternal life. So if you're a believer here today, God has given you eternal life. Now, what does eternal life mean? That means you're going to live eternally, right? So if something happens that that gets taken away and you die and you perish and you don't live eternally, what happened here? You see, God gives them eternal life. You say, well, I'm not convinced. Well, let's keep reading, okay? And they will never perish. Now, when Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and then he says, they will never perish. What does never perish mean? Never perish means you're going to never perish. And then he goes even further, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, the student I was talking with at False Creek, smart kid, here was their question. Okay, so some people are gonna say, well, if that's true, if I'm a believer and I'm never gonna perish and I've got eternal life, then man, I can just relax. I can kick back. I don't, I don't need to keep believing. I don't need to keep seeking God. I can just live selfishly. I can live for myself. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's back up and read this again. Verse 27, my sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. See, not all sheep are God's sheep, right? So who does this apply to, that he gives them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of his hand? Those that are his sheep. How do you know you're his sheep? You hear his voice, and you respond. You follow him, right? Okay, so by looking at these passages, here's what here's what we're saying. Paul is not saying in Romans 11 that a person can lose the salvation that God has given them in Christ Jesus. Now, what is he saying then? What he is saying is if you stop believing, you are never believing in Jesus, right? Now, remember last week we talked a bunch about faith. What was some of the verses we looked at? James two seventeen. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead faith. It's dead faith. It's not real faith. It's not saving faith. Okay, James 2.19, you believe that God is one. Great, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. A, a faith that just acknowledges something, facts about God is not saving faith. It's demonic faith. All right, and so here's what, here's what Paul is saying in Romans 11. If, if, you are, if you stop believing, if you fall away, if you cease to believe, you'll be broken off. Why? Because you were not trusting in Jesus. Okay, now you were probably trusting in something, but it wasn't Jesus. You're probably trusting in your own religiousness. You're probably trusting in your own morality. You're probably trusting in that you're a great guy, and everybody says so. You're probably trusting in that you've got better works than your neighbor or your brother or your friend. You are trusting in your comparison to others. You are trusting in that you went to Falls Creek hundred years ago and had an experience and walked down forward. And now, anytime you think about your salvation, you say, "You know what? I remember. I walked forward. I talked to that guy. He told me I was saved." What are you trusting in? the fact that you got up out of your chair and you walked down front and you talked to a guy and they said, you were you're not trusting in Jesus. And so Paul is, is saying, you, the only way to, to be saved from the wrath of God is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. 1 John helps us out here. 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us. Who's they? Again, folks who were connected to the people of God right? But how were they connected? Family, morality, good works, service, right? They were connected to us, okay? They went out from us, but they were not of us. How do you know, John? For if they had been of us, they would have, everybody together, they would have continued. You see that word? They would have continued, What does continue mean? You keep going. They would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they're not all of us. Now what is, go back to Romans 11. What does Paul say here in Romans 11? He says, note then the kindness, verse 22, note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. So this is a passage about continuing in faith, persevering in faith. Folks, if you follow him for a season, but eventually you get bored with Jesus and you get distracted by the things of this world and you start hoping in other things and you start looking to other things, you never were connected, okay? If you had a season when you were excited about God and you were revved up about Jesus and faith, but then things got tough and your business took off and your hopes gradually shifted elsewhere, you never were connected to Christ by faith. Remember the parable of the soils in Matthew chapter 13? Remember that, right? There's four kinds of soil. There's one where where the Word of God goes out, and it hits the highway, okay? That was me for many years of my life. It did make no effect. I mean, I was able to sit through a sermon. When I was 15 years old, I could sit through a sermon and hear absolutely nothing, nothing, zero, no conviction, no concern, no worry. I mean, it just it was the hard-packed ground, okay? The second kind of soil is the shallow soil. Now, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says the seed of the word goes in there and immediately it comes up. There's a response. In fact, it says with joy it comes up. But there's no root. There's no root. And so then what happens? When the sun comes up, right, and and things get hard, it withers and it never bears fruit. You know why? It was never a true believer. Third type of soil, it's weedy soil, right? Seed goes in, seed goes in. Again, it comes up, but what happens? Jesus says very specifically, the deceitfulness of riches, right? So all this other stuff that I'm gonna give my life to, I'm gonna look to this for my satisfaction. This is gonna be what's gonna nourish me, this, you know, deceitfulness of riches. The cares of this life choke out the word and it proves unfruitful. It never bears fruit, okay? Those are the people that Paul is aiming at. And he's saying, man, be careful that you're not a branch that's not truly connected to the tree. So, what should we do to make sure we keep persevering in faith? Verse 20. Here we go. Ready? That is true, they were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith so... First thing, do not become proud, but stand in awe. Now, there's a couple times here. You probably remember up earlier, it said, don't be arrogant. Uh, that's in verse 18. Don't be arrogant toward the branches. Now, he said, he says two or three times in chapter 11, he warned us against pride. Why does he warn us against pride? Well, he warned us against pride because pride is crediting yourself with something, okay? It, 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 is, it is shifting the focus away from Jesus and onto yourself, onto your own accomplishment, onto what you've done, your own wisdom, your own righteousness. And that is the antithesis of faith, okay? Pride is the opposite of faith. Pride works against faith. When you are prideful, you are looking to and celebrating and trusting in you, right? Yourself. Pride is unbelief. Every moment of pride is a moment of unbelief. Anytime you say in your heart, man, I'm what I need. Man, I really got this. I, I'm really, I, I can really handle this. I can take control of this. I'm sufficient for this. I'm okay. I'm worthy. That's the opposite of saying, man, Christ is what I need. Christ is sufficient for this. I need him. I'm looking to him. Whenever you're proud, you're comparing, right? That's one of the big uh, uh Tip-offs to pride is that you begin to compare yourself to others. You know, it's a telltale sign. You you begin to gaze adoringly at your own self, your own works, instead of at Jesus. I was reading 1 Timothy with a guy this week. and uh, Chapter 1, I love it, man. I love what Paul says here. Verse 15, he says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, And then he raises his hand and says, of whom I am the foremost. I'm the chief. I'm the worst. Okay? The reason I love that is because at least once a week, I hear somebody that I invite to church tell me, well, I'd come, but man, the building would fall down. You know? I mean, I'm such a bad sinner. I always want to tell people, listen. Listen. You know, at best, you're number two, okay? Because Paul is the worst, all right? So, I mean, the highest you can get is two, and Paul is okay in church. In fact, he was part of founding the church, all right? So I think you'll be all right. But I love this because of, of where Paul's focus is. Verse 16, he says, But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, as the worst sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example for those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Paul is looking squarely at Jesus. He's not looking at himself. You know how I know that? Next verse, verse 17. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, when your eyes are on Jesus, you don't think highly of yourself. Now, you don't think badly. I'm not talking like low self-esteem, not at all. Notice, notice what he says in verse sixteen. He says, "Man, God saved me to, to be a display of His perfect patience, as an example to everyone." He's celebrating it, but his hope and his trust is not in himself; it's in Christ. You know, if ever you need a pride buster, the end of Romans eleven is the ultimate pride buster. Real quickly, can I just take take you through it? Start in verse thirty-three. Okay. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. What that verse says is that God's wisdom is like the depths of the Pacific Ocean. My wisdom are like the last lukewarm swallow of this bottle, okay? That's the comparison, all right? And that probably does not do it justice, all right? What he's saying is God's wisdom is infinitely above our own. And in fact, I had to look up the word inscrutable. Did you guys know what the word inscrutable means? I didn't. Know what it meant, so I had, to, I had to Google it. What's inscrutable means it means you you can't be known. It, it, it's unknowable. I mean, you, you, it's a mystery. You can't get to the end of it. All right, And so God's ways are infinitely above our ways. That's when we get to hard chapters like chapter 9 a few weeks ago, and we see this whole thing about election and free will, and it blows our mind. It's okay. Why? Because Romans 11 tells us right away that God's wisdom is deeper than we can delve into. Verse 34, for who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Don't think for a minute that you're going to instruct God about anything. Sometimes we get this arrogance about us that says, you know what, God, you did it wrong. Why did you do this in my life? Why did you make me this way? Why did you put that? Why, God? You did it. God never does it wrong, and we are never in a position to tell him otherwise. Look at the next verse, verse 35. Who's given him a gift that he might be repaid? What have you ever done for God that he would ever owe you anything? Absolutely nothing. Anything that you gave to him was already his. Coming up on Father's Day, there's surely some little boy that's not going to have gotten his dad a present, so what he's going to do, he's going to go up in his dad's closet, he's going to pull out a shirt, grab a tie, stuff it in a Walmart sack and say, Dad, happy Father's Day. You know what? That's a great picture of every time you ever give anything to God. It's already his. My favorite, verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever and ever. What is that saying? That is saying that from God, God is the creator of the universe. He's the originator of the universe. Through him, he's the sustainer of the universe. Everything continues to exist right now because God is saying it can. He is sustaining it at this moment. If he lets go, it all flies apart. And finally, it is all to him. It is all for his glory. And Paul erupts saying, to him be the glory forever and ever. Okay, at the end of that, If you believed any of that, you ought not have any pride. You ought not have one bit of, man, I am something, and I got here on my own, because you did not. Second of all, so number one, if you're gonna continue in faith, you gotta fight pride. Number two, you gotta look at a couple things. Look at verse 22, okay? First two words, note then. That's a Greek word that means to see, to behold. If you got the old King James, it may say behold. I like the word behold. Behold, you know, look at it, all right? But I found it even, okay, in one of my Greek definitions, it said this, to stare at. And I thought, oh, that's good, that's good. All right, so verse 22 is telling us, if we're gonna keep believing, all right, if Jason Dirks is gonna keep trusting, keep depending on Christ, keep believing, through decades and, and, and years of, of, of struggle and trial and hardship and whatever's to come, if I'm gonna keep believing, Then I I need to look at a couple things, okay? I need to stare at a couple things. Number one, he says, first, stare at The kindness of God. Okay, I'm gonna take you back a couple chapters into Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Notice what this says. It says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? All right. So there's a principle here. The more you look at God's kindness, the more you want to repent. Okay. The more that you see his goodness in the gospel, the more that you want to be done with sin and you want want to be with God. All right. That's a principle. And so what, what the Bible's telling you here is you need to look at, you need to stare at his kindness. And it's everywhere in the scriptures. I was thinking about the book of Ephesians. The whole first chapter starts this way. Verse three says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, all right. So what has God done? God has God has heaped upon us every spiritual blessing, all right. That's all kindness, all right. And then if we go through chapter one, He goes ahead and outlines it. He says in verse four, "You're chosen according to the found before the foundation of the world." Uh, verse five, "You're adopted through Jesus Christ." Um, verse seven, "You have redemption; He bought you out of slavery and set you free." You have forgiveness of all of your trespasses. That's all His kindness to you. Going Going on to verse eleven, you have this inheritance. And by the way, since we're talking about inheritances, let's talk about what kind of inheritance it is. First Peter chapter one verse three says, "We've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." Verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, and that is unfading. All right, that's what is coming to every believer. If we go to Romans chapter eight, if you remember, we spent weeks, okay, a month in Romans chapter eight, looking at all the kindness of God toward us. Let's start in verse 14. It says, those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. God has taken you into his family by his own kindness. What does that mean? Verse 16, says, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 17, if we're children, then we're heirs, okay? An heir is one who inherits, an heir is one who has riches incomparably, Waiting for us, okay? Verse 17 says we are fellow heirs with Christ. And then how good is that? Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed in us, all right? On and on we could look in the Scriptures at God's kindness toward us. Okay, what Paul is saying is you need to regularly stare at the kindness of God in the gospel. You need to look at it. That's how good he's been to you. Now, what, what, what's that going to do in your own soul? Here's what's going to do. Why would you want to leave? Where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to go? Where else are you going to get God's goodness? Where is he going to get blessing and benefit? Where are you going to get that? Only in Christ. Only in God. So verse 22. Behold, look at the kindness of God. Why? That you might continue in his kindness. All right, second of all, note then the kindness and note also the severity of God. I think a lot of us, we may do this okay, mediocre, look at the kindness of God, look at the goodness of God, look at the blessings of God in the gospel. All right, but I I don't think many of us do this other thing very well, and that is look at the severity of God. But Paul says you need to do this that you keep believing, okay? Note then the kindness and the severity of God. The severity of God. Now, it's interesting that many times these are right together. So go back to Romans chapter 2 in verse 4. Remember verse 4 was, you know, do you presume on the the riches of his kindness, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But then look at verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Okay, the Bible says when every day you stay in unbelief, you are simply storing up the wrath of God to at one point be poured out on your life. That's what's happening. You you are offending God and you are storing up, you're shoveling, you're piling up, you're accumulating His wrath that will someday come down upon you. I was having a conversation with a, a husband and wife this week, and uh, we were having a great conversation, and things were going well, and then the the wife said something that I, I think the, the, the husband kind of maybe 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 perceived as a criticism, possibly, and so he kind of snaps back at her, you know, he snaps back at her and, and says something kind of basically, you know, it was not this harsh, but it was kind of like, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, or you always do that, or something like that. And immediately, like even as he's saying it, his sentence is trailing off into that was really dumb. You know, from that moment on, the wife did not speak another word. You know, she just claimed completely up. She shut down. You know, it was very awkward. You know, I tried to kind of change the subject, lighten the mood. There was none of that, you know. And this guy knew. This guy knew. I have offended my wife, and there's going to be something to pay for that. He knew that, you know. He knew that the only thing saving him from wrath was my presence right there. I mean, that's the only thing that was saving him, was me being a part of the conversation. Now, how dumb would it have been? How? Just imagine. He knows. He knows. I've offended her. I, I, I'm going to pay for that. There's going to be wrath. He knows that. How? idiotic would it have been for him to say, well, you know what, I've already offended her. I might as well keep shoveling. You know what, honey? That shirt makes you look fat, you know? And by the way, you don't make that casserole as good as mom does. And by the way, I think you're spoiling the kids, you know? I mean, why would you pile up wrath upon yourself? The Bible is saying God is a God of wrath, and every day you live in unbelief. You don't offend a wife. You offend an almighty God. You store up wrath on yourself. Paul is saying here in chapter 11, if you want to keep believing, then you need to take note of that. Take note that God is a God of severity. He's a God of wrath. Look at it. It's everywhere, by the way. Open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 6 and see that God looked down upon the earth and saw mankind living in iniquity and God sent a flood that destroyed every man, woman, and child, and beast on the earth, except for those in the ark. Turn a little further to Genesis 19, and see the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and how God sent fire and sulfur and destroyed, wiped out every living creature in that plain of the twin cities. Look at it. That's what the Bible's telling you to do here in verse 22. It's telling you need to look at the severity of God. The kindness of God. Man, basket it. Look at it. Let it draw you and say, I never want to leave. But you also this morning, as a believer, you need to look at the severity of God. The Bible's telling you to do that. You need to ponder passages like Luke 16 that give you a brief snapshot of hell. In Luke 16, verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried and in Hades being in torment he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side and he calls out, Father Abraham have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. The Bible is telling you, you need to look at the reality that there are people in hell right now who their greatest hope would be for a a second, a second of relief from the anguish that they know they will never be out of. Paul says, you need to look at that, that you might continue to believe. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 9 says, And another angel a third followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead and on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath. Poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the the Lamb. And, And at this point, I'm asking, but how long? How long does that last? How long does the wrath of God last? If I'm unbelieving and I forfeit the riches of God and I come under the wrath of God, how long will it last? Verse 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image, whoever receives the mark of its name. And then the next verse begins this way. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints. You see what that verse is saying? You see what it's telling me? It's saying, Jason, you look at that. When you think about, maybe there's a better life out there. Maybe I don't have to obey God's word. Maybe I can trust that something else is better for me. Maybe God doesn't know what's best. Man, when when that little thought comes in my mind, I better be coming and looking at both the kindness and goodness of God and also his severity. Listen, God is not tame. He's not harmless. He's not to be toyed with, or taken for granted, or overlooked, or bullied. God is not the old man that you're nice to, but really you don't respect very much. He is fierce. You can't hide from him. You can't escape his wrath. You can't bargain or talk your way out of hell. You can't bear under his wrath. You can't get used to it. You can't work it off. His wrath will not get better. It will not subside. It will not wear out. There is no hope in hell. There is no bright side. There are not people in hell right now who are saying, well, you know what? We were unbelieving. But on the bright side, there is no bright side. There is no making the most of it. There is no friendship in hell. There is no fellowship in hell. There is no light in hell. There is nothing to work toward. There is no end. It will never be better. It will never be different. There is only stretching out in front of you. Endless day after endless day of His wrath, God is severe. And Paul is telling us as believers, look at it. Look at it. Because what will it do? It will stir up in your heart God, I want to continue in your kindness. God, thank you for your kindness. Thank you that you're the kind of God that snatches me out of that and that forgives my sins and makes me your son and draws me into your family and makes me an heir with the king of the universe and gives me every spiritual blessing. Oh, God, I'm not going to walk away from that. I'm not going to say there's something better. I'm not going to say I'm, I'm bored with that. I'm, I'm going to peter out. No. It keeps us persevering. One of the big dangers in looking at the severity of hell is that, and this is an American thing. I actually, I don't see this in other countries like I see it in America. Is looking at it and saying, you know, I just don't think that God would do that. I just don't think God's that way. By the way, what's your evidence? Me. I am my evidence. I, I'm telling you that I, I can't get over how widespread that is. Who, and again, that's pride, isn't it? I mean, man, you need to read verse 33 through 36. You know, who's known the mind of the Lord? Who's his counselor? You know, you're going to tell God, actually, God, you're wrong about that. Your word is wrong. I'm right. Folks, look at both the kindness and the severity of God that makes you want to persevere. Don't have a puppet Jesus. Don't have a Jesus that you, you control and he says whatever you say. And look to the real Jesus, the Jesus who rose from the dead, the Jesus who took your sin upon Himself, and died in your place, and rose again, and extends His grace for a time, today, that you might be in His kindness. Look at Him. Look at Him. I want you to finish. More than anything in the world, I want to finish. I want to believe to the end. I don't know what my life will have in store, but I want to believe. More than anything, I want my kids to believe, and I want them to believe to the end. I want them to finish. And Paul is saying, you want to finish, don't be proud. Don't for a second take your eyes off of Jesus and put them on yourself. You want to finish? Then you take a hard stare often at the kindness of God, the goodness of the gospel, you want to finish, you look deeply at the severity of God and the horribleness of sin. By the way, I forgot to say this in other services. I can't believe it. You know, you know where we see the kindness and severity of God the most clearly? In the cross. Do we not? We see both those right there. We see that God is the kind of God... Who would send his own son to take our penalty that in kindness he might save his enemies? But God is also the kind of God who would crush sin in crushing Jesus, in him bearing the weight of your iniquity, in the Father turning away while the Son bore your sin both the kindness and severity of God in the cross. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would keep us in faith. God, I I pray that we might look deeply at the riches of the grace in the gospel. God, I pray that we might look deeply at the, the horrible punishment of sin that's coming. And Father, that those things would stir up in us a great faith, a great treasuring Christ and believing Christ and embracing Christ and depending upon and leaning on and calling to our great King. Father, do that in us. In Jesus' name, amen.